welcome to Back Talk, the show where we talk about this week in feminism and pop culture. I'm Bitch Media's online editor, Sarah Merck, which means this week I have been reading one million Beyonce think pieces. <laughs> and I'm here with Amy Lamb. I am the associate editor. And uh, this week I've been looking through lots of pitches for the series we have called Cut and Paste. It's like a series where we do um, roundups and reviews of zines. Remember, I love this series. Remember those zines? Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> such a good way to highlight small press, highlight zines. Yeah, because I grew up making them and reading them so I think that it's like and, and bitch started as a zine so it's really cool to like bring it back like full circle and to promote zines through our web series cool this week on back talk we're talking of course about Beyonce's Lemonade her new visual album which dropped this week and we're also going to talk about a new book called we were feminists once that's about capitalism and feminism that's written by uh, bitch's creative and editorial director Andy Zeisler but first, we're going to talk about our favorite things in pop culture this week. Do you want to yes, go first? Yes, yes. Okay. Because I know I can guess yours. Whoa, whoa. Okay, let me do it, and then we'll see. Okay. So actually, I had so many. Uh, like, um, for instance, uh, on The Voice and on RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, my favorite contestants are getting through, so I'm super into that. And then also, um, my HBO Sunday is, is like, pumping and going on, like, with uh, with this terrible and awful Game of Thrones coming back. It's, like, such a awful awful show but i can't not watch it and uh but i also and then there's also like the super cringy veep that i love but my my super duper favorite pop culture moment right now is that the portland trailblazers um won both of their games at home so now the series is tied 2-2 and uh they're going back to la tonight to play another game uh and because of some injuries at, at like within the la clippers i actually think Portland Trailblazers might have a chance so I, I don't want to sound mean but because like there are star players are injured we might make it past the first round so I'm way excited about that <laughs> was that what you had guessed yep, I was okay. gonna guess NBA finals <laughs> yes <laughs> of course um my favorite piece of pop culture this week is uh it's a little outdated but I finally watched the most recent season of Project Runway which I don't watch regularly oh it's on season 14 and I watched maybe four of the last 14 seasons but this one I got kind of hooked on because one of the contestants was really cool her name is Ashley Nell Tipton and she's a Latina woman who does like plus size design and incorporates like her Mexican-American aesthetics into her designs. And it's so cool. And she was just far and away the standout person on the show. And so I wound up watching a bunch of the episodes over the last week being like, she's got to win. And I know it's really old and like the series is already finished, but now I follow her on Instagram and get to look at her like beautiful designs every day. So I feel like I get a little bit of inroad into the fashion industry, which I don't follow at all. Yeah. But I get to get a little inroad into it because I'm following her on Instagram and can see all her beautiful dresses. And it was a great season. And, and her work on that season was so gorgeous. And she's such a good she has such good skill in choosing colors. Like her her palette is, is just Yeah, her palette. It's amazing. like usually on that show, I don't really like what people make. Honestly, I'm like, mm, I would never wear that. But her stuff is beautiful pastels. It's super femme. It's super fun. So I've her name on on Instagram is Ashley Nell Tipton. And you can see all her gorgeous designs on there. And she has like beautiful purple hair, which right. I love. It makes me Lavender. want to dye my hair purple. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, I'm so glad you're like coming to the reality competition <laughs> TV side because I love it. I've like I I DVR and watch um, Project Runway like religiously. It's I just so don't good. have time. I feel like yeah. I don't know whenever I don't know what I'm doing when everyone else is watching TV. Oh, you're probably being productive. With, I'm with probably your life. I'm probably still at work. <laughs>
We're excited to have Margaret Jacobson with us. She is a photographer and writer, and she writes about parenting at, and pop culture at Romper and Wear Your Voice. And Marge is here to talk about Lamanna! Yay! <laughs> Beyonce! <laughs> Forever. Yes. So, Marge, tell us everything. <laughs> All the feelings. Okay, so... I'm going to, like, admit something that's really awful. I was driving back from Salem when it was coming on to HBO or whatever, and I'm, like, panicking because I'm, like, I'm going to miss this, and I'm supposed to be at someone's house watching this, and I'm supposed to be writing about it. So in my car, I start streaming it. While driving? Twitter. It's so on like my dri- leg, <laughs> and I'm just listening through, and I'm, like, losing my mind. I just And I pull over to get gas, and I'm pretty sure I sat there for way too long because I was just, like, what in my son's in the back? Of the car, and he's just like, "What's wrong with you?" And I'm just like, "I'm like, oh no, oh, no. she has a bat. She's walking down the street." And I just like did it. If it was like all of my senses were like overloaded, but then it just kept going, and I was like, "So is this a breakup album? But like not a depressing one? I'm so confused." But then it was also so beautiful. And she wasn't crying or anything. She was just even more so like, I'm a badass. How do you not know that? How do you not know that this is what you have? And I was like, yeah, I want to get mad at someone too. And I was like, there's no one for me to get mad at. And then I was on Twitter and everyone's like, I'm going to break up with my boyfriend just because Beyonce said that, you know? But then she like comes out of nowhere and like turns it around. And it's just like this narrative of like, she starts talking about like love and how powerful it is. And even though all that stuff happened and she mourned and she was angry, she still came back to like being, I don't even actually, I don't even know if she even talked about forgiveness necessarily, but definitely like this redemption side. And I feel like we don't really like, I feel like when people do breakup songs like she did or just like you cheated on me, they don't do this full circle thing and come back to, okay, but I still love you. That's how much I love you that like we can like I'm going to call you out and you're going to own up to your shit. But like we can also grow from that. So it was it was really interesting because I think that um, the audio record on its own it is just kind of it feels like a, a breakup mm-hmm. and a, a record about, you know, um, trying to figure out what to do in the wake of mm-hmm. in the wake of not breaking up of being cheated on mm-hmm. and then trying to like find love and like to recover and survive that. But the other side of that was the 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 visual album that was on HBO. That's what you, that's what you're yes. screaming. So I can't even imagine what your data plan is going to look like. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but like that added a whole other layer, and it was just like so haunting and so beautiful, and um, it like enriched the album to this in this way that I've never seen in terms of like um, like like visual depictions of black women and mm-hmm. and. Uh, in in so many different ways like because there are so many different looks the number one that she did i know yeah from I being don't... like underwater right to doing like the southern gothic look i mm-hmm. i it was it was too much yeah i don't i don't even know how she had time <laughs> honestly that's what i want to know how does beyonce and everyone's like because she has lots of people to help her and i'm like but but even when i have help like i can barely do like three things in a day yeah, that's always my question is when is Beyonce secretly making these albums and right. shooting an entire film? Like, she seems pretty busy. Every yet- time we see pictures of her, too, I feel like in the last year it's been like, I'm on a boat. I'm just having a vacation because I deserve it. 
But when you think of her last album, she was on tour and recorded that album and recorded all those videos and was on tour and then just dropped new stuff. And it was like, I'm going on another tour. It's not a big deal. And I was like, are you tired? <laughs> Maybe I need to do more with my days. Like, should I work harder? <laughs> like, <laughs> Can I produce something like this as well? But I, I think it felt so... I feel like I felt so connected to black women after I watched it and I kept watching it and seeing, especially younger black girls getting shown um, and being around these older black women. And it wasn't, so it wasn't just like our peers, but it was younger and it was like older and they were all together and it was a sisterhood. And I thought that was so beautiful. And I was like, how do I, I want to be in on that. And I'm like, I am, I am a part of it. That's so cool. And I feel like we don't get to see black women in large groups like that, where they're just hanging out and being just lovely together. And I love when they were just on that farm. Was it a farm? Like, and they're like making food together. And I was like, that is amazing. It's just, it's just beautiful community. <sighs> like uh, Amanda Stenberg shows up, Zendaya shows yeah. up. I uh, I didn't even know it. I was just like, oh my gosh! And when Serena was just dancing, <laughs> oh my God, Serena. I was like, how is how did she get Serena to be? Because Serena, right, is like the greatest athlete ever. But it was that thing where she showcased women who have been torn apart in the media, like so much, and she showed so many shades of black, and it didn't feel like this thing where there's this kind of black person or this kind of like, it felt like everyone was just like, we are black women. We are strong and we are resilient, but we're also soft and we also can break and that's okay. And we can mourn that and we can rise above that. Cause I think that our narrative so often has to be really strong. I think when you're a person of color, you know, you either are just really like timid and like, okay. Or you're like enough. And so I feel like we're depicted as just angry. And I feel like that anger is so righteous, but I don't think we get to see the soft sides of things. And I love that she talked about love so much. Cause I don't, I feel like sometimes that's left out of conversations about race and about finding our identity. And it all came back. And I think that everyone at first was like relationship. And I was like, but I feel like it's also about just us, like how we can just love ourselves, even with like all of the crap that happens. Did you have like a favorite visual from the, the HBO piece? Um, I think my favorite just aesthetically was when she was walking in the water and she was in the row with like the, the women or they were in a line. And I thought that was so beautiful and her sitting in the chair with all the flowers. Because when I look at things like that, I'm like, what kind of images would I take? That's how I view things. And it would, the colors were so beautiful. But then I also really liked the end when she's just walking and her hair is up and she has those really big sleeves and she's singing about love. And I love when people, I'm that person that loves all love songs. Like I love them and I cry over all of them and I think they're all really sweet. And then she had all those clips of different people who loved each other and I was like losing it. And I was just like, oh my God, love is so great. Life is hard, but love is really beautiful. Thanks Beyonce. Cause at the beginning on my, my status on Facebook was like, at the beginning when I was listening to it, I was like, basically what I'm learning from Lemonade is that love is dead. Mm. Can't, because I was like J and B like, 
can't have love now. But at the end, I was like, it is so real. You guys love Israel. One of the most powerful parts of the video, I think, is when it, it kind of stops in the songs. And when it stops and it interjects that Malcolm X quote, mm-hmm. which really relates to what you were oh talking gosh. about before, about sort of representations of womanhood and femininity. And and um, the Malcolm X quote, if you haven't heard the album, is that the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Yeah. And it's such a powerful part of the video mm-hmm. and the song. So I'm wondering when... When you heard that, when you were driving along, and when you saw the images associated with it. <laughs> oh my it, gosh, yeah. Which is sort of, is, is these beautiful black and white photos of different black mm-hmm, women. Mm-hmm. What did that mean to you? How did that feel? I think it was this thing where I know we've been talking about it a lot more, like online and conversations about um, how black women are seen. And I think it was this really powerful thing where I'm like, it's crazy that even then they like knew but then there was a time we kind of stopped talking about it and black women have always just been like kind of struggling along and I think it was a big deal to hear a black man say that and a black man that was so like prominent and in a movement that was so radical where like he wasn't trying to leave women behind and having her like include that just kind of too cemented, like, all right, this is where Beyonce's going with things. Like, because we, we saw it, like, with Formation, we were like, oh. And when she put out Beyonce, we're like, she's a feminist, you know? <laughs> and then she's just been taking it a step further, where I feel like it's not that she was never woke. I think she's just used who she is to, like, further things, which pisses, apparently, people off. They're like, now you're political. And it's like, to be a person of color in America is to be political, and seeing these women with their natural hair and all of the different types of, like, blackness, it was really powerful. And I think I cried a little bit because I have this conversation so often where I feel like I have to stand up for myself as a black woman and I constantly have to be like, okay, when it comes to feminism, I'm totally down with it if it includes me, you know, and because this is how black women are depicted and I feel like I get a lot of, like, pushback on that we're like no I care people like don't go out of their ways to like neglect black women I'm like but no it's it's just how things are set up and how we're perceived and how we're seen and so it was so affirming to hear that and then to see these strong black women even with being so neglected and feeling so unsafe constantly and feeling so attacked all the time what I got out of this narrative is like how we continue to rise up. And my mom is that example of like being beat down. And I saw her just always rise up and always be strong and always appreciate herself. And I feel like that was the thing that I took away from Lemonade the most was it is so hard out here (laughs) for a black woman, but it doesn't mean that like we have to keep love away from ourselves it starts with us and then I feel like it can go out and I was talking to someone on my way or before here and I was talking about when I was 18 and I think I was in denial about racism and race and and the person I was talking to was 18 and she's so on top of her shit and she knows so much and we were talking about how we didn't like ourselves when we were like in denial about what was happening and now that we're like so aware and we're on, we love ourselves and we're angry, but we love ourselves and we love our bodies and we love what we look like. And that's such an amazing thing. 
that's all I want for my daughter, and she watched Lemonade with me. I'm that parent that's like, I'm not going to, like, censor anything. Like, sometimes she's like, why is she hitting those car windows? That's very destructive. And I'm like, you'll you'll know someday. You'll understand. But she was so happy, and she's like, I love being black. Like, that's what she got from it was, like, I'm strong, but I can also be sad and upset. Like, I can be complex, and that's great. Like, we are not, like, one layer. No one is one layer. We are so many layers, and I feel like that's brilliant. I love Beyonce. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I have been fighting with people on the internet. Anyone that's tried to come for her in any way, I'm just like, you don't even know where she started. <laughs> don't even. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> Let her live. Let me live. Let me have this moment. Can I please just have this moment? She gave us music videos, you guys, for every song. How? 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 <laughs> and then she did it again. But it was even like, it wasn't like she was just copying herself. She literally did something new. I, I feel bad for everyone. Like, Drake, like, released his album, like, cover art. And I was like, I don't care. And I love Wait, Drake. Drake released his cover? I had he no said, idea. This is a, you know, and I was like, no one cares, Drake. Oh, wow. You, he, he you should know better. Yeah, like, are you going to give us a movie? No. He probably, he could. He's yeah. a great actor. He'd just be crying a lot. I know. It? I don't need, that's and okay. Would, but I would love it. <laughs> I feel like I'm here for you, Drake. <laughs> well, thank you so much for stopping by to talk Thanks to us. Thanks for letting us. me talk about yes, Beyonce and thank you. Margaret, if people want to find your work, where can they look you up? Um, so I'm all over the internet. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but you can find a lot of my stuff at margaretjacobson.com. So that's where some of my writing is and then links to more of my writing and then my photography. And I'm on the Instagram constantly, always posting pictures about everything I do. And that's just Marge Jacobson. Thanks so much for joining us Thank on the show. Thank you. So for the second segment of today's show, we have esteemed guest, bitch, creative and editorial director, Andy Zeisler. Hi, Andy! Andy! Yay! I'm so excited you're on the show! I'm so excited to be here. I love this show. You just got as excited for Andy as you did for Beyonce. Yeah. Well, people should know Andy's one of the co-founders, and I think it's really important to get that excited. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Andy, you're joining us on the show because, hey, guess what? You wrote a book. I did. <laughs> and this book is coming out this coming week. What's the what's the official release date? So the release date is uh, May 3rd, which I'm pretty sure is Tuesday. Great. Um, but for Portlanders, the reading and official like release party is Monday the 2nd. At Powell's. At Powell's. Great. Um, so if we have any listeners in Portland, come down and hang out at Powell's on May 2nd. So Andy, your book is called We Were Feminists Once, and it's about sort of the co-optation of the word feminist and how it's become a label that's slapped on a lot of consumer products and that celebrities use to describe themselves without actually doing anything to dismantle systems of inequality in the United States. Yes. Does that sound like a good one sentence summary? It does. Yeah. I mean, um so it, what it's what it's about is kind of about the the history of feminist movements being co-opted and what it means. Um and uh, I think I coined this term, but I'm not sure. Marketplace feminism. I think that's something, you know, I've definitely heard it called like commodity feminism or consumer feminism or frankly, even white feminism kind of fits. And so what does marketplace feminism mean? So marketplace feminism is kind of the process of 
uh, harnessing and celebrating the language and the imagery and the energy of feminism while also sort of depoliticizing and decontextualizing it. Um, you know, I, I think it's, to, to me, it's different than commodity feminism or corporate feminism because it's it, the, the marketplace designation. It really is about sort of picking and choosing and taking on the parts of an ideology uh, that appeal to you and sort of discarding or ignoring the ones that don't. And um, it's very also it's also very much related to choice and the idea that the choice has become really the coin of the realm uh, in feminism over the past few decades um, to where we, we talk about uh, kind of anything a feminist does as being a feminist choice when, in fact, you know, it often has nothing to do with feminism. And so in the book, you do a great job, I think, of laying out how when you and, and two other people founded Bitch uh, 20 years ago now, a big part of your goal there was to get feminism, um, to get feminist discussions into pop culture, to get a more f feminist analysis of pop culture. And now 20 years later, a lot of what you wanted to see has come to pass. Now, fe like feminism is something that we talk about in newspapers and the covers of magazines. But that doesn't mean that the situation has actually improved in some substantial ways. I really like the way you describe in the book, in the introduction, you say that often feminism is just used as sort of a catch-all term, like a buzzword term that media and pop culture uh, deploy, like a kicky new seasoning for content, rather than digging deep into systems. Yeah, and that's especially true now, and that, that has a lot to do with with the way that media has evolved and the sort of media system we're in now where there's so much media and it's all sort of competing for your eyeballs. And so when you get a buzzword uh, like feminism or, you know, 10 years ago it was environmentalism, it was green. Um, when you get something like that, it just becomes it becomes sort of like a Mad Lib word that, uh, you know, content producers will kind of like put in there because it's it's sort of a guaranteed way to, to get people interested. I think you said something really great in your book where you said that um, like feminism is more of a brand than it is a movement. And I think framing it that way like really helped to clarify to me like the point of view that your book is going through. And it and I see that in so much marketing, you know, and that like like we will use the words feminist or feminism or like empowerment, but not actually contribute to the wider systemic movement of feminism. Right. And I think it's tricky because at the same time that feminism has become sort of more and more a branded identity, it's also become a much more uh, nuanced and vital movement in a lot of ways. But it's almost as though there are sort of two discrete feminisms happening simultaneously. And one is the one that's uh, very grassroots and really nuanced and intersectional and really focused on making change at a foundational level. But then the one that's got most people's attention and the one with the bigger megaphone is this kind of branded feminism where it's really not challenging the systems that feminism has always needed to challenge. Yeah, definitely. Like as um, like over the past five years, especially, we've seen a lot of people who are traditionally excluded from our media get bigger voices thanks to social media and thanks to the power of the Internet. So we've seen like transgender women like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock really become um, national speakers on these kinds of issues in ways that they would have been excluded from 10 years ago. But concurrent to that, um, there's lots of brands that are using feminism just as sort of a label to sell stuff. We've seen that with Pantene and Always and Verizon is mentioned in your book. 
So those two things, I think, are happening at the same time, which is something that you point out. We both have this good news of um, we're hearing these more voices and these people are and there's more people who are who are having their voices heard. At the same time, it's become this commodity in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, if you you know, you know, people who are active within feminist movements could tell you that the the definition, like what's considered feminism has really broadened so much over the last few decades. Um you know, we talk about feminist issues like immigration and prison reform and mental health um, as these really nuanced, crucial feminist issues. But when you're talking about feminism as a brand, the point of a brand is to appeal to the largest number of people in the simplest way. So what happens there is feminism gets it it becomes what's what's easily reducible to a talking point. And usually those talking points tend to be the ones that really don't need any more bandwidth. You know what I mean? Feminist movements have always prioritized a certain um, sellable, accessible, um, often really white and middle class focused slate of um, goals. And those tend to be the ones that are still getting the most play um, because they're very straightforward. It doesn't mean they're not important, but it's not, we can't pretend that that's the full scope of what feminism, you know, needs. Yeah, you point out in your book, the way you say it, that, that I like is saying that there are problems that can't be solved with marketplace feminism. Like that there are, you know, like there can be some benefits to having feminism be more visible. There are benefits to having celebrities claim this term and make it something that is appealing, especially for young people, or that can be an entry point. You know, seeing Emma Watson, for example, or Beyonce say, I'm a feminist, has some positive ramifications in terms of young people saying, oh, like, I, I can be that way and having that identity be more visible. But it's that just claiming that that label doesn't always, there's problems that can't be solved by just having it be more visible. Right. And I, I feel like, again, it's there's there's environmentalism is sort of a, a good analog to that, because I think we have benefited um, as like a collective conscious from having celebrities uh, and people like Al Gore and people with really big, powerful megaphones speak out on environmentalism. But it can't stop there and it can't stop as like a trend. Um and and I, you know, that's often what happens is is something becomes a trend, and then when it becomes less trendy, uh, people all of a sudden, you know, just kind of drop it and move on to the next thing. And feminism has a ton of unfinished business, and ninety percent of that unfinished business is not cute. It's not sexy. It's not fun, uh, but it's still really important. People often say that publishing a book is like exciting. And I think it's <laughs> exciting, but it's also terrifying and anxiety-inducing. Um, so I'm wondering, what are you worried about with the publication of this book? It's going to be out on May 3rd. People are already reading it. Um, what are you afraid people will misinterpret or that uh, people will, will, will poke holes in? Right. Well, funny you should mention that. <laughs> because here in Portland, um, one, of the, one of the free weeklies... Um, I don't know. I'm not even sure what they did. Uh, kind of reverse engineered a review of the book based on how they thought I might react to Beyonce's Lemonade. Um, and it's it, basically what it came out sounding like is 
uh, Andy Zeisler thinks feminism, Beyonce's feminism isn't real enough, which is not true. <laughs> um, a huge presumption, a, a huge presumption and, and also just really um, upsetting because, you know, lemonade is not something that I'm that I feel is my place to comment on in the first place. So to have my words kind of falsely ascribed um, to trashing lemonade is I'm, I'm not happy about it. But um, but what the framing of that article kind of, you know, reminds me of is that um, we often find it much more uh, palatable and much easier to talk about individuals than it is to talk about systems. Um, and what we often find in media is that, in fact, we don't talk about systems because it's much um, it's much easier, it's much more attractive, it's much more clickbaity to frame things as, here's this one person saying this other person is a bad feminist, or this person thinks that person isn't doing feminist feminism right. So we see a lot of headlines about that even now, whether it's, you know, uh, Taylor Swift or Lena Dunham or, you know, Beyonce and Rihanna, it often turns into this um, this way to sort of pass judgment while letting the actual systems that create um, these false choices completely off the hook. So I guess my my biggest fear and something that has already happened is uh, is that the book has been interpreted as being about, you know, my dislike or my um, invalidation of individuals rather than you know, a, a, an indictment of of the system of capitalism. And so this this book, like the headline from it could be like, Andy Zeisler thinks Taylor Swift is a bad feminist or Andy Zeisler thinks Beyonce is a bad feminist. Right. Where, you know, to me, the, the more truthful headline would be, you know, um, Andy Zeisler feels like we need to interrogate why we're having these conversations in the first place and how capitalism really circumscribes. That's such a long headline. (laughs) I know it's going to sell anything. I know it's super boring, (laughs) which is why it's going to be like, why do you hate Beyonce? (laughs) So just for the record, uh, yeah, don't come to my pals event and yell at me about Beyonce. (laughs) Um, So this book is dedicated to your son, Harvey, who's how old now? He's seven. Mm-hmm. He's almost eight. So why is this book dedicated to him? And what are you hoping he'll take away from conversations around this or this book if he ever actually reads it? Yeah. Uh, it's fun. Dedications are so weird, especially with a nonfiction book that's like kind of a downer. Like it's not <laughs> it's not like here's this lovely fiction story about a family's legacy. And I'm dedicating it to my sites. Like here's a book about how screwed up our world is and how capitalism has really messed us all up. Enjoy. And enjoy. <laughs> no pressure. Try to fix it. Um, but I think that like every parent wants wants for their child's generation to, to do better and be better and obviously live in a better world. And I feel like, you know, and, and this could just be living in Portland, but I do feel like um, young kids are growing up in a time of really huge potential in terms of social change. Um, They have so many more, they have so many more role models. Uh, They're living in a much more sort of diverse and fluid time with a ton of avenues open to them in a lot of ways in, in terms of thinking about things differently than previous generations did. So 
yeah, I would certainly like to think that um, that he'll be part of the solution and and not part of the problem. But um, but just in case he's not like to have this book around, kind of just like guilting him into it over the years, <laughs> like that. I don't know that it can't hurt, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But he's also too young to to read it. I mean, he's still on like uh, you know Harry Potter, so. Um, Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us on the show. The book, again, is called We Were Feminists Once. You can buy it from bitchmedia.org, and it comes out next week. So at the end of the show, we talk about one thing we read, one thing we watched, and one thing we heard this week. Um, I'm going to start out with one thing I read, which is I got this new collection of essays called So Sad Today, which is by poet Melissa Broder. So Sad Today started out as a Twitter feed that I followed And at first I thought it was like a joke, like emo. It's basically like tweets about anxiety and sadness that seemed like so sad that I was like, oh, this is this is kind of like making fun of anxiety. And then after a while, I realized, no, 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 this is serious. This is somebody who's like who's kind of like poking fun at, but also truly expressing when they feel really low. And for a long time, this Twitter feed was anonymous. And I was kind of obsessed with reading it and loved it. And then it turns out it was run by this poet named Melissa Broder. And she just wrote a collection of essays called So Sad Today that is just searing. It is super raw. It is super honest. And even as I'm reading it, I'm like, I can't believe she wrote this down and published it because it's so personal. You know, she talks about like, like her bathroom habits. She talks about like guys she had sex with and regrets and all the details of it. She talks a lot about body anxiety and body image. And I'm so grateful that she was up for putting that out there because it resonates and connects so much. And I think has made a lot of my friends feel better about their anxiety. And me reading it as somebody who doesn't deal with anxiety or depression, it made me feel just like, just like she's so brave. And I I just felt like the collection spoke to me in a way that I was like, wow, look at this person being so human and putting herself out there. So it kind of inspired me to be like more vulnerable in my work. Uh, I want to borrow that book. (laughs) (laughs) I want to read about that person's bathroom habits. (laughs) Um, And uh, this weekend, what we watched, I want to talk about this documentary called No Mas Bebes, uh, No More Babies. It's a documentary that follows a group of Mexican women um, in the early 70s who were coerced into um, having... Uh, who, who were coerced into being sterilized at the LA County USC Medical Center. Um, and it was during a time where there was a lot of like xenophobia towards immigrants. And there was like these concerns about uh, maintaining zero population so to protect like guard resources, I guess. Um, and these medical professionals at this hospital, like, felt emboldened to coerce and be very unethical about um, how they framed what sterilization was to these women. And oftentimes they didn't speak English or, or if they did, um, the, the doctors would say like, well, we can't provide this care for you until you sign this form to be, to have your tubes tied. And even then, like in that case, you know, the women might have misunderstood what it meant to have your tubes tied. So this is a really great documentary to sort of like, um, uh, like magnify the story so more people can hear about what happened and there's also like um this part of it where you know they brought this case to court and um this was during the same time where like second wave feminists were rallying and marching for um you know safe and legal access safe and legal access to abortions and here's a group of women saying you know like reproductive justice doesn't just mean like the right to have abortions it also means the right to have families and the right to um you know not uh, be oppressed like reproductive 
in a reproductive manner so it was such an it's actually a really heartbreaking and frustrating and like um makes you kind of re- really upset on behalf of these women but it's also uh, a film where you know you're watching and you're like i'm so glad these women are having their stories uh, magnified so that we can all see some like see what happened historically but also you know one of those instances where you think now that we know this we can hopefully never have this happen again to other women is that a pbs.org so it was on pbs it was streaming there but it's not anymore but you can go to nomasbebes.com and they'll show you uh, they'll have a listing of where they're screening it locally um but it's also a thing where you can buy uh but it's it's such a worthwhile like historical piece that i think folks should watch nomasbebes yes no more babies so let's close out with something we've been listening to this week Amy, take it away. Yeah, so I've been listening to um, this musician named Lilith A. Um, she's a young feminist from London, and she just um, released an EP called Riot Deluxe. Um, and in the EP, she actually covers a Queen Latifah's UNITY, which is really great. Um, and I really like her. I read an interview with her, and uh, she's super young. I think she just finished with um, university. Um, but her and her friend started like a, a feminist club night a feminist club called fight like a girl and it's a space where um, her and her friends can come together and support each other's artwork um so what we're going to listen to is the title track it's called riot and thank you so much for listening thank you hey kid don't follow me because you don't know where i ought to be hey man don't bother me my pocket knife real sharp you see Thanks for listening to Backtalk. This podcast is hosted by Sarah Merck and Amy Lamb from Bitch Media. The show is produced by Alex Ward. We have exciting news. So many of our propaganda listeners wrote in to ask how you could support the show that we created a brand new Beehive membership level, the Podcast Pollinators. Join fellow listeners as a member of the Podcast Pollinators. And when you do, you will receive a special mug, a subscription to Bitch Magazine in print and digital, a snazzy sticker, and Listen Bitch, a brand new monthly roundup of all our podcast shows and music reviews delivered straight to your inbox. Become a podcast pollinator today at bitchmedia.org slash pollinators. That's bitchmedia.org slash pollinators. Thanks so much. I feel like shouting out loud.